what a great team building exercise would be. You know, if you, if you had all the money in the world, take your crew out to a, a skydiving trip. Are you suggesting that the team building exercise is that the cast goes skydiving? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Everyone, welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. We're back after a journey. After (laughs) that's just like a time machine straight (laughs) back to some of the oldest theater in the world. We are, of course, on the back end of our themed month, original. Master's Month. It was a wild ride. It was. We took a long journey through ancient Greek plays, talked about Lysistrata and Euripides and Sophocles and all those old Greek cats. Just to but be clear, now- Lysistrata is not an ancient Greek playwright. That was a title. I mean, and then there were other playwrights. I mean, it, you're a long time listener to the show. Just get mixed up. Sometimes it's like <laughs> Lysistrata wrote, probably wrote a play. She was there were yeah, there, there were multiple Creons at one point. Yeah, that's so I mean, I remember that. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. nothing so- else. I'm gonna remember. The multiple creons. Right. Name, names get a little wibbly wobbly. But we are back into the 21st century with the play for today. Yes, that's right. We are today talking about a play by a playwright who is still living and breathing as of the recording of this episode. <laughs> I mean, look, anything can happen, but right. as of the recording of this episode, David Lindsay Abair is still alive. And not only is he alive, but he is uh, a wonderful friend to us in in like a more of a colleague way. We don't know him personally, but he's a friend to us in the sense of being a supporter of NoScript. Yeah, he's a friend of the show. Thank you, David, for being a supporter of NoScript. It means a lot to us. We're talking about David's play today, Ripcord. Yes, we've previously talked about Rabbit Hole, uh, the the most popular, the most well-known play by David Lindsay Bear. That play swept the nation and still does in, in incredible performances. And we had had another David Lindsay Bear play already on our kind of docket. We always keep a running list of playwrights and suggestions from our audience. And then we keep suggestions from literary managers and playwrights that we trust. And so this was already on our docket to do. We didn't know specifically what one, but all that to say, it was we didn't just pick to do a David Lindsay Bear play because because he's a supporter of the show. It's not like a reward for supporting us. It was already right. on the docket, but it is cool. It is a weird, awesome, cool privilege to talk about a script by a playwright who's a supporter of the show. Yeah, super fun play. I'm looking forward to get to getting into talking about it. We have, as Jacob said, we've already talked about Rabbit Hole before, and this one's all a, kind of a whole other play style. So I'm excited to kind of get both sides of David Lindsay Bear's playwriting. Yeah, today we're, I think we've, have we said the title yet? I'm a little bit lost. Ripcord. I did, I did, Ripcord, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Ripcord, that's the play we're talking about today. I I think this play is awesome. I think it's a lot of fun. I'm excited to talk about it. But I'm also excited for what's coming up in our season. Before we get into the conversation, we do want to let you all know so that you can be tuned in and ready that after this episode of Ripcord, we're going to go into a little kind of pair of episodes. Yeah, dyad. Around, yeah, a little dyad, <laughs> sure. It, it, it's, uh, Two plays, both with Detroit in the title, um, Detroit by Lisa Demore and Detroit 67 by Dominique Morceau. Um, and so those will come one right after the other. I don't know how much the conversations will interweave together, really, but it's kind of an interesting pair of plays to talk about in in 
in a pair like that, I guess. That wasn't a very creative way to say it, but so it goes. <laughs> but the second of those two conversations about Detroit 67 is going to be our special guest episode of the season. Uh, spoiler alert, that episode, the recording of that has already happened. I've already had a fantastic discussion with Kay Edmonds, who is a, a theater artist living in Michigan. She lives on the outskirts of Detroit. She directed Detroit 67 at Albion College last fall. She had some really incredible things to say. It was an awesome conversation. We are looking forward to releasing that conversation for you in just a couple of weeks, so keep that on the schedule. We're just a couple weeks out from our special guest episode. Yeah, yeah, stay tuned for that. You get a little bit of a break from me for that week, and you get to tune into <laughs> uh, an awesome guest episode. So, yeah, bookmark that, and it is coming up soon. And that, things like our special guest episode and our theme month that we just finished and the fact that we're doing a play by one of our supporters, all this cool stuff that happens on the podcast is just as good a reason as any for you to give us a dollar a month. That's what we're <laughs> asking for over at patreon.com slash podcast. That's the lowest tier of a supporter that you can become over there it's just a dollar a month I, you won't even notice a dollar a month going missing if you drop four quarters out of your pocket every month you probably do and you don't notice it go missing. <laughs> so look it's it's a dollar a month i believe you can afford that i believe that you are getting at least that much value from the time that you spend with us so please consider becoming a supporter of the show it would mean a lot to us because the supporters that we have now mean a lot to us people like david Lindsay bear and all the other incredible supporters that we have make doing the show possible we love to do it, but we can't afford to do it. There are hosting fees. There's fees for getting the scripts that we can't find at our libraries. There's an incredible time investment to produce an hour-long weekly podcast that requires the amount of research and preparation that these episodes do. We just couldn't afford to do it if not for our supporters. So they are the lifeblood of the show. And if you're not one, I really, really, really would encourage you to head over to patreon.com slash podcast. Consider becoming a supporter over there. Now, back to the script. I let you, I just, I took a break there. I felt like I was on a roll and I just couldn't, I couldn't go into the voice. So I felt yep. you, it was good that you took that one. You, 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 you've been on, you have been on a roll for a while. So I had, <laughs> I had to bring it back. Uh, yes, we were talking about Ripcord today. As we have mentioned, uh, Ripcord got its first production is actually put, commissioned by the Manhattan Theater Club and it got its first production in October 20 of 2015. That production was directed by David Hyde Pierce. Um, and it had a, it had a, a, a cast of Holland Taylor and Mary Mary Louise Burke um, and uh, bo both those actors uh, you all know um, so if you don't if you don't recognize the name go check them out you know them um, you'll and, see their faces in the Google image search and you'll go oh yeah 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 also had uh, Glenn Fitzgerald Rachel Dratch is another person who you know so uh, yeah check check them out uh, and Dowd Heidman as well um, so so yeah a whole cast uh, a great cast kind of a star cast for this show Um Ran, ran for a while there, and, and I, it's a fairly recent show, like 2015-2016 season, um, so that's the that's kind of the only, the, the main production that I drummed up, but it's been done in regional houses as well since then, because it's such a great little show. It is, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a ton of fun, great, great parts. 
Yeah, great parts, great you know settings that are manageable, and it's and it's a, a story that has such kind of heartstrings to it that touch on so many things. So it continues to be done. Uh, you heard us mention already, like this is a this is a return to kind of an older style of playwriting for David Lindsay Abair for for him. It's it's more in the vein of his Fuddy Mears script. Um, if you if you read Fuddy Mears, a very very comedic kind of uh, roommates sort of comedy that kind of sets the uh, the the tension between these two main characters and and shenanigans happen between them in various Careful ways. Careful now, sir. You're towing into the synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get, I had, I had, we had to balance the scales from all the Greek wishy-washy. That's true. Yeah, that was pretty wishy-washy <laughs> for a couple of weeks there. Okay, so Ripcord, this is a play that is set in a senior living facility in New Jersey. We meet uh, two roommates, Abby Binder and Marilyn Dunn. They're both 70s, 80s is what the script calls for. And these roommates are at odds. Their personalities are at odds. Abby is kind of a grouch, kind of an introvert. Um, In fact, as the play opens, she is trying to convince Scotty, who is uh, one of the workers at this senior living facility, uh, to get Marilyn moved out of the room. Abby has historically lived on her own, and there she's had a series of roommates that have all, she thinks, uh, left because she has requested that they leave. She has a lovely upper floor room that has a lot of sun and a lookout over the gardens and such, and she likes her room, and she likes it to be her room only. Scotty says, well, look, we can't do that. Marilyn wants to stay. And Marilyn, because we meet her, and she is, um, she's got kind of a sunny, warm personality. She has a great sense of humor. She has a great care and empathy for others. She has a lot of patience because what proceeds to happen is that she takes a lot of abuse, verbal abuse, from Abby, who uh, is in intently committed to getting her out of that room the two go to visit scotty at a um at a haunted house the scotty's an actor and he is acting a part in this haunted house and at the haunted house uh, a bet is suggested and then that bet is further elaborated on the next day and uh the bet is this which then drives kind of the rest of the play the bet is if abby can make Marilyn angry before Marilyn can make Abby scared, then Abby wins the bet and Marilyn has to move to a different room so Abby can have her own room again. On the other hand, if Marilyn makes Abby scared before Abby can make Marilyn angry, Marilyn gets to stay in the room, but she was already going to get to stay in the room. So additionally, she gets the bed by the window, which is a much coveted bed. And so what happens at that point is a series of hijinks. And I would love to tell you that they like wind up real slow and it it gradually (laughs) gets more and more intense. And then in the climactic moment, there's these huge hijinks that over. But that is not true. They start out at an incredibly high level of hijinks. One of the first things that happens is that Abby fakes that Marilyn's family is coming to see her and she gets all dressed up and all excited about this visit only to learn that the family is not coming. It was a prank or a a move in this chess game of their bet. 
And then we get a lovely little reversal, which is that, oh, Marilyn knew all along it was a prank. And in fact, the family is coming to lunch and they've drugged Abby's food. So they knock her out and take her. Yes, you're about to hear me say they take a 70, 80 year old woman skydiving. And the skydiving scene does, in fact, happen in the show. And uh, from there, it just continues on. The the pranks, the push back and forth get more and more personal. That is one way that they definitely do ramp up across the course of the show. We learn lots of stuff about either woman and the, the pain that's in their past, the things, the baggage that they carry into this um, into this relationship that they have as roommates now. We meet Marilyn's family. They're kind of the other major minor characters, major minor characters. Right. Um, Colleen and Derek, they have a, a sort of a funny uh, marriage, sort of a, a comedic marriage that is used as a device throughout the course of the play. It all concludes when uh, Marilyn convinces, she, she ultimately, because of a couple of different prank things, Marilyn does admit that she is lost and moves out of the room in a huff. And um, then the next morning, Abby learns from Scotty and uh, Derek and Colleen, the children, the adult children, that Marilyn has died in the night. She has passed away. Now, that might seem a little convenient, and if if you think it's a little convenient, it's because it is, because it's not true. It's a device. Surprise! (laughs) Marilyn is still alive. She scares (laughs) the bejeebus out of Abby, and they decide to call a truce because they've become fast friends after all of this arguing, Um, and they decide to continue living together as roommates in the beds they currently occupy, Um, and their lives are forever changed in a number of ways. The most important way for Abby is that she has a rekindled relationship with her long estranged son, Benjamin, who is a former addict, and um, he now has a son that uh, Abby has never met, her grandson. And that relationship has been rekindled and is now going to presumably go into the future in some way. And the play ends with another kind of fun comic device where they restart the betting on a different uh challenge that's that scotty had taught them earlier in the play that is in a broad sense ripcord by david Lindsay bear yeah it's just a wild ride of, of as as you said jacob hijinks from start to finish essentially because right like right off the bat you get this kind of cantankerous woman in abby who is a kind of abrasive to scotty and and eventually abrasive to Marilyn. but it's counteracted by Marilyn, who just everyone says is just so sweet and is kind to everyone she like is bringing food to abby right away so you have this like great um kind of yin and yang opposing for Forces of these two women and and neither of them it's the in, in, uh oh i always get this wrong immovable object something force that that equation <laughs> <laughs> unstoppable yeah. force meets an immovable object thank you that's the one <laughs> yeah but that's that's kind of the relationship of these two they enter this bet together and neither one is going to cede any ground Right, and it, it I actually think that the unstoppable force immovable object metaphor is probably the most apt metaphor for understanding these women and their personalities because it, it the, what is in conflict between them and what the, the conflict that drives so much of the action of the play is not just like, oh, one of them's nice and one of them's mean. It is much more about Abby is a stoutly resolute believer in 
this is what I want and I will have it. I am not moving from this place. And in a literal sense, that's true. She's not moving out of this room and she's gosh darn not going to let anybody else stay in the room with her. She has this idea of what her life is now, partially because of what we learn has happened to her from the rest of her life. And that she is imagining is immovable. This is going to stay no matter what. She is firm. She is stout. She is in place. And enter to drive the play an unstoppable force, the cheery optimism of Marilyn, who is determined to not just win the bet, but like win a friend, like convert Abby to be a lifelong fast friend. Yeah, I think I think it's notable. You you kind of get the sense that she knows a little bit of the legend of Abby, um, and not just the legend, but like she's she's she, you know this is a this is a retirement home, right? This is a I forget the town name. It's like Bristol or something, but Bristol retirement home. Um, and and so so everyone kind of knows that 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 Abby uh, continues to push people away. So she didn't go into it blind. It's not necessarily like you know college roommates where you just have to figure out something that works. This is an intentional choice by Marilyn. And, and she continues to push at it through the through the whole play, and that's kind of tied into some of her characteristics as well as this like skydiving person. That's where yeah. the skydiving comes in. She like owned See, a skydiving company. Whether or not she has this heart condition, which comes up at different points in the play, I honestly I'm not actually sure if the heart condition is real or fake. Yeah, come yep. the end of the play, it may be real, it may be fake. But that is claimed by several characters that she has a heart condition. To which Abby responds she goes skydiving <laughs> and her children Derek and Colleen are oh skydiving is like breathing to her right. it's no big deal at all yeah no no yeah so, so yeah she's got this like kind of tenacity about her all while still being this kind of um caring presence or drawing out presence for Abby um even even that first interaction where she's she's caring for Scott who's who's this actor um, who's 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 like doing? He has to get forty names to come to this this party party slash haunted house thing that he's running, and and uh, so Marilyn convinces Abby to be the fortieth name. So she's caretaking both Scotty and Abby in in the sense of getting Abby out to something new and trying to experience something new. I really like the word you just used, tenacity, because there is something kind of undefined and nebulous in these women that is um, similar, right? I mean, again, it's not just that they're these polar opposite people that grate against each other and eventually have something that they make work. There is something kindled in them or the revelation of it is kindled in them that pulls them together, that that they are, you see this in both of them. And there, there are lots of names for it, drive or determination, but I think tenacity might be a really great way to think about it. They are both unbelievably tenacious. I mean, they are out to get victory in this, and not just victory in the bet, but what the bet represents, right? Marilyn winning over this immovable object, Abby winning back the life that she has defined and carved out for herself that is hers and hers alone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you see that tenacity in 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 the pranks that they pull, right? Yeah. So, so like, I mean, a, here's, I mean, Abby's Abby's are, I don't know, 
that they're both brutal. <laughs> but but oh, Abby's yeah. are things like like putting putting uh, Craigslist advertisements out <laughs> so that people are calling Marilyn at all hours of the night for things that she's selling. Um, the, the the other big oh well, well Marilyn's one of Marilyn's is like giving her a bunch of like drugs to make her fall asleep because it's the yeah. only way that she can. It's, it's a little bit hard to skip that. I mean, like out of the gate, Abby yeah. and her family drug, or I'm sorry, Marilyn and her family drug Abby. <laughs> Take her sky down. That's a yep. big, that's a big jump. I mean, that is. That, she, she dives in both feet. Yep. Marilyn hangs on a door for presumably hours yeah. <laughs> trying to like convince her that she's like dead in the bathroom hanging from the door. So yeah, it's just like tenacious t- tenacity of these two who just like continue to push, continue to try to find the next thing to do. And even in the face of of, of what could be authority, right? With with Scotty being this like nurse character who brings in pills, he's friends with them as well, though he kind of represents the the structure of the of the 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 whatever it is the nursing home the rest home whatever it is yeah this is retirement a senior living community. facility he's like the representative staff member we don't we don't meet any of the rest of the staff he's our he's our entrance into that world and there's a great great line where where he tries to like assert some authority over the betting and the game that's happening and they're both like you don't have authority here well, we actually, live here I, that that <laughs> moment I love so much because yeah. Abby and Scotty are at odds from the beginning of the play because Abby's at odds with everybody and so she and Scotty have a you know a tenuous relationship at best really from the beginning but Marilyn and Scotty are are tight they have like three to four inside jokes that play all the time and Marilyn kind of gets her way by kill him with kindness methods and that works so well until Scotty tries to put his foot down and say look whatever's going on at this point as I recall he doesn't know it's a bet yet but he says uh, you know you two are pulling these really crazy pranks on each other you've got to stop that and Marilyn kind of her relationship with Scotty changed a little bit she says basically butt out of it this is none of your business we're adults we live here we are going to continue to do this and there's really nothing you can do to stop us (laughs) which eventually brings him into the game too he's he's part of the last con (laughs) so so yeah it's 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 all over the place these two just kind of pushing you you get a lot of Abby pushing against Scotty early on with with uh there's there's the old the, the the old nurse who was recently there who apparently got fired for some sort of misconduct was a bit more of a pushover than Scotty um and and so you have this conflict of a little bit of the newness of him coming in and their conflict as characters and that becomes one of the revelation moments in the play for Abby as a character. We should probably uh, talk a little bit about whether Abby is the protagonist in the play, but w- once we, we'll get there. But the moment that I want to talk about is this re- this uh, recognition moment where Scotty reveals that what Abby thought was happening with roommate after roommate departing her room because she was getting her way, right? This is what she thinks. She thinks with the previous person in charge of rooming, that person just kind of did whatever she wanted, would fix things for her. They had like an understanding. So she didn't want anybody in the room and she'd just ask him to get him moved and they would move. And in this moment of extreme frustration after Abby has been, frankly, a little bit unnecessarily cruel to Scotty, he says, what you thought was happening was not happening. Nobody wanted to live with you. Every person who's lived in this room with you has complained about you to the point that we have moved them rooms. You're nobody will live with you. Yeah, no, that's that's a 
that's a fair like Abby in general is a is kind of unbreakable for most of this play. Um, and, and even right, in yeah, that the scene, immovable object. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even in that scene, she keeps a pretty brave front on it. But like that's that's one of the kind of cracks in the in the in the facade in, is in that moment is is the kind of reversal of that information that she thinks she's been you know getting rid of all these people, but in fact, prior to coming into the room, most people are like, oh man. Gosh, we got we got to do this, which makes it even more special that Marilyn chooses to stay and chooses to to room with her. So it says something about her commitment as well to the relationship. Yeah, there's that that tenacity coming back. Right, again, right, right, she's, right. She's able to do what other residents weren't, and, and you know, of course, as we think about what drama is, right? We're looking at well, what is what is special about today? What is special about this relationship different than all the others? And we know that Abby has had bad relationship after bad relationship in terms of roommates that she has treated them badly and they have abandoned her um, although she also wanted them to abandon her so it's a little bit like you know right. everybody wins I guess but what is different what makes this play a play worth watching is that we we meet a kind of roommate a kind of eventually friend that Abby has not necessarily had. As we learn more about Abby and her life outside of the senior living facility, we learn about the all the different ways she's been abandoned by other people in her life too, right? So the tenacity, the stick with itness to make a relationship work, even despite Abby's tumultuous personality, is what makes Marilyn different. Yeah, to to redefine what this kind of roommate relationship with, and you, and you're right to kind of bring in the, the her life, Abby's life outside of this, because we we learn through her interactions with Benjamin, which is another just like wild prank, right? Like Marilyn calls up Benjamin, an estranged it's the son. Where you start to go, <laughs> is this really a prank? <laughs> right. <laughs> Where's are you the line? Like the uh, the ghost of Christmas present or something like. <laughs> are you really trying to win a bet here, or are right. you trying to like change Abby, make her life better by calling her son? I mean, ostensibly that the prank is like you're going to be afraid if your son comes, which is a yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which winds up being kind of true. Ultimately, ultimately, I'm wrong because Abby admits (laughs) that she was scared when her son comes. But it seems a little bit like, is this really about the bet at this point? Or is this about you seeing a lack in Abby's life and wanting to make some sort of substantive change for her? Right, and using the vessel of the bet to to kind of work towards some healing for her or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But but the the arrival of Benjamin as a consequence of that bet really does kind of unlock some of those, at least for us, the story of of their time together and a lot of mistrust there, right? Like Benjamin, we learned that Benjamin stole things while he uh, was in in one of his relapses from her, and and uh, so there's 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 a lot of broken trust there, and all of a sudden the gears begin to click into place, right? The, the kind of past experience of Abby and why, perhaps why she wants to push all the people away, why she doesn't want to trust the people who come in and are her roommates. You, you see the echoes of that in her relationship with Benjamin. Right. If you, you really learn why she became an immovable object, right? Now, I might be beating that to death, but <laughs> I just think I, I think for this play, to me, that's just that's a nice little visual metaphor yeah, for yeah, what's yeah. happening because she, in this relationship with an addict, moved so many times. We learn in their conversation, as short as it is, that she was willing to bend for him time after time after time, and that ended up hurting her and ultimately 
ultimately, of course, hurting Benjamin too, time after time after time. So she learned to become an immovable object, unfazed, unbroken, unaltering in order to cope with that broken relationship. Right. And then that that translates into other relationships as well. And and so so yeah, it's and that that that's the facet that I think Marilyn is kind of stepping in front of, not only in her character, but also kind of throwing Benjamin back into the mix as well. Um and 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 using the using the uh, I'll say yeah, I'll just say it again, using the vessel of the prank to do so, using this this kind of fight that they have to try to push that uh that uh, relationship a little further along. Now, of course, Marilyn has her own version of that story too, right? And probably this pain that has lived in both of these women's lives is what has kindled in them that tenacity that is what makes them so similar in so many ways. And in Marilyn's case, we learn through, again, a... Wild prank. Wild uh, prank and bordering probably, on just outright cruelty. Yeah, this one is much less like the wondering about the fairy godmother thing. It's not as much in this equation. <laughs> like wonder, wondering if Abby is trying to do this from like an altruistic sort of standpoint. That's not really the spirit of this particular prank. No, and there are moments in the play that where Abby really whatever is in her of meanness just doing things that knowingly hurt people and not in a small way uh yeah come to the forefront that are, are sort of troubling as you try to empathize with her as a character and this is one of those moments she posts up all over the senior living facility police reports and arrest records of Marilyn's uh long departed dead in this case husband um, and we learned that he was an abuser. Uh, I think, you know, he had a temper is kind of the language that they use in the play, but it has manifested itself in police reports, in um, abuse reports. DUIs, uh, DUIs and just, yeah, really personal information about their, their family that it, she just kind of posts all over the, the living home. Yeah, and, and just pay, she prints off a bunch of copies of this stuff and posts them up all over. And Scotty finds them and brings a bunch of them back and basically says, Abby, what the heck is wrong with you? And as the audience, we're kind of like, yeah, what the heck is wrong? <laughs> Can't do that. That's not, that's not cool. Um, and, but, and, of course, uh, Marilyn ends up finding them, and, and that is a new step for them. Yeah. Is this, uh, it's, not, it's not a new step in it being personal, but being – they're just being a sort of spirit behind it of really, really trying to push somebody away through really painful acts. And 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 yet, even in that moment, there you see, I think, what another one of the first breaks in the in the, in, in in Abby, right? Because when uh, eventually, when Marilyn shows up and she has them in her hand, she went to the neighbors and she found more copies that Scotty couldn't find. There's a, there's a little lie that's told that they that they tell. Um, Marilyn tries to like front a lie and says clearly Abby just made these up. It's gonna be like don't worry about it. This is just our prank thing or she's what what a prank or something like that. And Mar and and Abby agrees. Abby's like yeah yeah I just I just printed them up. Then then as soon as Scotty leaves she admits yeah I paid for the police reports and we find out that they're in fact real. But you have this little like small moment of shame in Abby where she's she she ad admits to or she she concedes the fact that oh yes this was a this was a terrible thing to do. I'll at least try to cover it a little bit. Well, and this is also the moment when Marilyn 
alters her relationship with Scotty, right? We discussed that moment where she says to Scotty, mind your own business. This is happening whether you like it or not, and you don't really get a say in it. And, you know, for right. all, the, all of the inside jokes, cheery, almost gooey relationship between Scotty and Marilyn, it is this moment where Marilyn really steps up and stands up to Scotty. Not that Scotty's a person that needs standing up to. He's, he's you know, uh, he's not like a bad person or anything right. like that, but he, <laughs> he's trying to stop this these attacks on each other and she says nope we're going to continue to do it and you're basically going to stay out of it and it's interesting that that moment comes on the heels of one of the more extreme uh moments in this prank war where it has become almost to a new level and then you say that and it's like (laughs) this is after the skydiving incident which seems like that's kind of crazy too so (laughs) Well, the whole talk, prank war is crazy. The whole prank prank war is is crazy and awesome. The, the, real, real quick before we move on the, from the prank moment, I think Act Two opens with a park bench, <laughs> and Abby goes and like sits on the park bench, and this like rabbit masked thug comes up and tries to mug her <laughs> with with a, with a gun. There's a gun on stage, <laughs> and and it's part of the prank. We find out that it's it's uh, Marilyn's uh, son-in-law dressed up in this way and she like maces him abby like sprays mace on him so yeah it's a ridiculous and yet delightful prank war yeah i think that's like the second scene of act two and it it's sort of in a building world of Derek and colleen being right. more and more unhappy that this prank war is happening <laughs> it, it so let's talk about in terms of marilyn and abby is there one of them that you would identify as kind of more the protagonist of this play? Is there somebody that the play is more about than the other? Um, I, I mean, I think I think Benjamin kind of tips the scales a little bit, even though even though uh, Marilyn's kid is in the play as well in Colleen. Um, Colleen and Derek are like like they're kind of uh, uh, sidekicks to the to the to the prank war. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I think the arrival of Benjamin kind of shifts the the weight of the play a little bit more in in favor of Abby being the protagonist, or at least the one who goes on the journey. I think really they're both protagonists. Um, it's it's really a play of these two these two women kind of uh, foiling off of each other. Um, but the I think arguably the person who goes on the on the longest journey or moves the most. Uh, as a result of their their uh, prank war and conflict would be Abby. By the end of the play, she has grown in affection towards Marilyn. Marilyn has had affection for Abby throughout the play in some way, at least enough to get her to stick around. Abby concedes the point and, and uh, or not concedes, grows to love uh, Marilyn and and they, they decide to, to kind of end, end the war and stay roommates, even while they still kind of make a new bet on the side. Yeah, I I agree a lot with you. I think, to me, one of the core differences in terms of just, like, how the play is built between Abby and Marilyn is where they're at at the end of the story. I'm sure that there are ways that Marilyn has grown and changed as a person as a result of this 
conflict with Abby. But if you look at where the two women end the play versus where they began it, the gap in that from for Abby's role in the play is so much larger. She has gone on a much more substantive changing journey. She is not in the same place at the end of the play that she was in the beginning of the play. And Marilyn is much closer to where she was at the beginning of the play. Yeah, 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 definitely. And and I think I think that's that's kind of the ride that we're I mean, I mean the the other element that we haven't talked about yet all that much is is Benjamin's son. I think his name is Gideon or something like that. Um so so that aspect as well real like is a uh, uh a one scene change in Abby, like this, the scene uh, that she finds out that he has, that she has a grandson. And then the next scene, she comes back with like a, a shopping bag full of onesies. So, so like that, that's a big change for her as well. The, the kind of wanting to restore that relationship. We, we see a lot of movement in her as a character in that. Yeah, and it, it's set up in some ways by what we see of her, through the rest of the play, there are some moments where um, Mer- the fact that Marilyn had several children and that those children have children is brought up, and Abby is um, defensive, is 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 blockading, is snippy in that conversation, um, and she kind of goes on to say, "Nope, I just had the one son, and that's it, and I'm done talking about it." And then there's a scene in the haunted house where there's a there's like a false baby that a woman is trying wants them to protect in in the world of the haunted house. This isn't like real, <laughs> right? Just like some <laughs> this like a role in the haunted house. And at this holding of the baby and seeing this woman with the baby is affecting to Abby somehow in a way that we don't really understand until we see her reaction to the news about Gideon. Right. Yeah. No. That that scene really early on. There's there's some really masterful kind of uh, uh, setting the stage like for hinting that happens in that little scene. Like it seems like such an odd scene, right? I think it's like scene two in the play. It's our first location shift, and you're like, wow, haunted house. Okay. Okay. I'm on board. <laughs> um. And 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 it seems like on face level, it's this kind of like weird thing that they just go do. But there's actually quite a few little hints in there, and I think that's one of the more beautiful ones that that pays off much longer as well as the, like the whole plot line of the prank war and the bet starts in the in the haunted house. Yeah, I mean to talk about just interesting strange scene shifts that you've got to somehow pull off. I mean, some of the things in this play are a little tricky, aren't they? Like the even the haunted house is it's it's not just like walk into a haunted house and and have stuff happen around you. They move from room to room. Yeah. Then you sort of imagine, I don't know if any of you out there have not been to a haunted house, but typically they're set up in these big spaces and then there are hallways and rooms created with like pipe and drape. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of what happens. So these women move between rooms uh, all these different scenes in the haunted house getting played. So there's like a walking through a space scene uh, in the haunted house. And and that's, of course, costuming of a haunted house that is involved in that. And then, I mean, we can't go with, and talk about strange scenes and scene shows without <laughs> talking about the skydiving. Right, absolutely. Like, yeah, we got we got to talk about that because that's gonna that's like a delightfully challenging little piece of theater, right? Like, there's a whole scene that is two people tandem skydiving together, 
<laughs> they're jump like they and they start in a plane. One of them's asleep. Abby's still asleep from being sedated to get on this plane. Um, and and they they jump out of the plane and then they're they're falling through the air. The whole parachute like people fly off in one direction and kind of parachute closer to each other to have conversations. So yeah, it's it's a I mean it's a technical moment of theater. Yeah. And there's so I I mean as a director I I would love to direct this play for a lot of reasons not the least of which is just that it's hilarious but also the challenge of trying to think about and stage a skydiving scene yeah. I mean, is just part of it there I mean it's not just like they're on an airplane and then they jump and then we flash forward to when they're on the ground they are falling and as you describe people flo- float in and float out and the parachutes deploy and they have screaming skydiving conversations I mean it's a it's a cool thing for a playwright of David Lindsay Bear's caliber to say, what if, right? Theater companies, let's try it. Let's try this. Right. Yeah. It opens the door for creativity and and for the like creativity for the set designers, creativity for the lighting, but also creativity for the actors. Right. Like what a great team building exercise would be. You know, <laughs> if, you, if you had all the money in the world, take your crew out to a, a skydiving trip. Are you suggesting <laughs> that the team building exercise is that the cast goes skydiving? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it opens up the door to all sorts of fun opportunities, and yeah, it's it's, it's the kind of those like like kind of punt the ball, throw it up, and see who catches it, and see how they catch it. It's one of those beautiful moments that you can do with a script. Well, it, yeah, it's so um, there's so much that would go in to doing this skydiving scene that I would imagine every production you would see in your lifetime, if you saw five, six productions of this play in your lifetime, probably every version of the skydiving scene would look substantively pretty different. And that's probably also true of the haunted house scene, but the skydiving scene is really the scene that defines this play. Right, right. That that scene also kind of kicks off, I I, I think that's more or less the... The first really big one, but that's like the first of the lies that are told, right? Because eventually you, you figure out that these two are are lying about whether they're scared or whether they're um, afraid. No, scared and afraid. A- angry, Angry, yeah. scared and angry. Um, eventually you figure out that lines are being crossed and they're just not willing to admit it. <laughs> But this is like that's one of the big first ones is is Abby screaming out of the out of the plane <laughs> as she as she does skydiving for the first time. And then subsequent scenes, there's there's some some uh, yeah, some real anger from Marilyn, a couple like the uh, what one like just like. As someone who enjoys Sudoku occasionally, (laughs) Marilyn does Sudoku and Abby fills out the whole book incorrectly and with letters sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there's such a funny, one of the great funny moments in this play, and there are so many, the humor is so awesome, but one of the great funny moments is when Marilyn discovers her Sudoku's filled out. She says, Did you, there are letters in here. Why would you put letters in there? And Abby says, to send you messages. And Marilyn goes, well, what did you, <gasps> you're disgusting. <laughs> just like, I love that he just leaves it to the imagination. I mean, that yep. is the way to do that. It's just yeah. not to tell us what was written in the Sudoku. <laughs> Whatever you're imagining is, is worse than what we'd actually uh, say. And you would like think that would be like the beginning of the prank war, right? Like it starts there. She fills in the Sudoku. Ha! 
Uh, nope. <laughs> it starts with just crazy level, and then it just kind of ups and downs, waves throughout the play. To return briefly to the skydiving, because I th- we hopped over, of course, the title of the play, which is Ripcord, and it comes, obviously, from the skydiving scene. And it comes from this monologue given by a very, very minor character, Lewis, who is the skydiving instructor, leader guy. Um, it's important to note that the reason they able to bring a drugged woman <laughs> up into the sky to skydive is that it is a family skydiving it's company. all family so it's all her kids and they own the plane they own all the gear so this is uh not that they not they tricked some skydiving company into bringing a clearly unconscious woman onto the plane it's their company <laughs> So Lewis is shouting instructions for the skydiving um, out through the plane, which, again, that's another great moment that you see Abby um, crash unconscious in their room. And then I have to imagine that uh, most production companies are going to a dark stage at that point and then a spotlight or something similar on the skydiving instructor who's screaming instructions. Imagine being an audience member and that happening. Just yeah. the groaning chuckle that you that must spread through the whole audience <laughs> as everybody slowly realizes what is about to happen. They have brought this unconscious woman skydiving. I mean, yeah. that spreads and spreads. So we get Lewis, this instructor character, and he says, um, you're going to like this, Abby. He's screaming it. I'm just going to say it. It's just like life. You get shoved out into nothingness, then it's a long, terrifying freefall to certain death. <laughs> Which is why you gotta pull the ripcord, baby. Slow yourself down and look around while you can. Yeah. So so that being where the title comes from, we can all do all sorts of interesting, like, you know, pseudo-analysis about like how that resonates throughout the play. Um and 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 yet in in some ways, I don't know, this this is a messy one. Let's let's see what happens. Um but but uh in some ways these two don't pull the ripcord on each other, right? Like they don't just like get out of get out of the relationship and parachute away they commit to each other so that that's an interesting uh tension in analogies at least is like they they don't they don't you know stop the ride they don't they don't get out of the get out of the parachuting or whatever they they stay committed to each other throughout right and and one way to look at this play probably an incorrect way, but one way is to say, you know, Abby is sort of rooted in her way of life. She's not willing to smell the roses. She's sort of committed to just being alone and miserable until she dies. And Marilyn, this goodly angel, comes along and does a lot of funny old woman stuff to convince her to (laughs) change her ways, right? But that that leaves us in a place which is sort of similar to how I described the two women at the end of the play, which is that it doesn't look like Marilyn has undergone much change in that view of the play. And that's an uninteresting play for Marilyn. So I think a more interesting play is one that you describe where both of these women struggle with that, with this idea of enjoying where they're at, 
both of these women are, they take this opportunity to go head to head and they just don't slow down. The competition goes and goes and goes and almost burns itself off the track. And it may look like Abby is the one who needs to learn this sort of ripcord lesson and Marilyn is teaching it. But in reality, Marilyn has to learn it too. And you get this, especially in moments where Marilyn's not on stage. There's a lovely moment where Derek and Colleen, I think it's after Derek gets his eyes sprayed with the pepper spray, where Colleen says, this has got to stop. And I got to tell you, Abby, my mother is not going to stop. Marilyn will not. She can't. She's obsessed. She is never going to quit. This has to stop or you're both going to I mean, quite literally kill each other. You're, right. you're in your 70s and 80s. One of you is going to die. Yeah. Yeah, there is there is the interesting bit about the heart condition that we're not really sure exactly what, what state is, it has, is actually in, but a couple of characters attest to Marilyn's kind of heart, and she's kind of constantly going on walks and trying to be sure to stay in shape. So, that, so, so, so yeah, there's this, this genuine question of, like, we're committing so hard, we're burning so brightly, um, and, and people kind of worried around them as to, to what is going to happen to them. Will this go too far? Is there a line that is crossed? Um, um, and 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 that's like kind of the, you, the 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 gotcha moment at the end of the play pays that off so well, right? Because we we kind of experience, you know, we wonder if for a second we're in kind of a a really sad uh, tragic comedy where where Marilyn in fact died as a result of this this uh, game that they were playing or hurt feelings as a, at the end of the play, but. We're delightfully reversed out of that with with the final prank. So so yeah, that 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 theme still echoes true. This like tenacity, the burning tenacity again, burning brightly between these two, and not willing to not live life. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of moments like the one that you just described where the the prank is sort of pulled on us as well, right? The gotcha is pulled on us as well because we believe along with Marilyn that her family is coming to see her. We don't really have any reason to believe otherwise until we do. And then we believe that Abby successfully pulled this yeah. prank until Marilyn reveals that she didn't successfully pull this prank. There are moments throughout there where we get to live into the lives of the audience members it's it's kind of an interesting play in that in this kind of a prank war world you almost could imagine that there's a lot more dramatic irony used in the script than there is i mean this play just doesn't have a lot of dramatic irony in it we basically live the play through the eyes of the characters and for this kind of story where the reversals and recognitions are so crucial to what the play is that we get to experience them along with the characters is a huge part of just our experience Right, and and each each of the different pranks, whether it's you know the door swinging open and Marilyn hanging dead from the door, or the masked bunny robbery, um, you go on a really similar journey. Somehow, you know, I, I guess eventually you you're you're in on the joke, um, and and begin to live in the same world as these characters, which is basically whatever crazy thing happens to me must be part of the prank war. <laughs> Um, but, but still like the, you know, a masked person on a bench with a gun, like uh, we experience that as like, oh, is this, is this the moment where it goes too far? Or is this a moment where something real blindsides them in the prank war and, and bad things happen? Right. Because 
David Lindsay Bear could have included a scene where um, Marilyn and Derek are putting together his robbery costume, yeah. right? And saying, "Okay, now go convince her that this is a this is a prank." And then w- the audience would have seen the scene with dramatic irony, right? We would have known that what Abby is experiencing is fake. Instead, we live the scene with Abby. Is this a real mugging? What in the world is going on? And then we watch Derek overplay his hand and say something about, "Doesn't this scare you?" And then we all go, "Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. The same thing with like the drugging scene, right? We only learn that Abby has been drugged along with Abby. There is right. no scene where Marilyn sneaks on with the food and pours the knockout powder onto the fish. No, no, no. <laughs> we learn it as she goes, "What did you do? Oh, I just drugged your fish. Does couldn't you taste it?" And of course, she's lost her sense of taste, and so she couldn't taste it. We right. learn that with her, which is just you know, there's just different ways you could experience this kind of story and David Lindsay Bear has chosen to include the more experiential way of of, of viewing the story and yet every single time there it's like kind of hold your gut laughing sort of ride right like yeah. like each each <laughs> oh time you, you each time you the 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 trick gets turned or the turn of the trick happens where you know someone wakes up or the mask comes off or someone gets sprayed with mace somehow we laugh at poor Poor Derek, who gets a, a face full of Freud pepper spray. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> but it's just like, it's just gut splitting funny throughout the whole thing. Yeah, and, and a lot of the humor is humor related to like the situation of what's going on between these two women and that's very funny and then there's scenes where there's like a more obvious joke built in that just pay off so well that that are just used to such an effective degree for example in the scene where Marilyn has hung herself on the back of the bathroom door with the false harness unit and if you're in theater at all and you've ever done a play with a hanging in it there's so many of those you know about the false hanging harness unit that you can hang hang yourself safely and so she's hung herself safely on the back of the door and but she's stuck up there you can't ever get yourself down that's how those harnesses are built and so Abby just is inclined to leave her up there because that's her personality and they're in the middle of this prank war. <laughs> Scotty, the employee, comes in and finds her says, okay, I'm going to help you get down. They can't figure out how to get her down. And so Marilyn says, if you close the bathroom door, it'll be easier. So the bathroom door closes. And in walks Benjamin, who is Abby's son, um, a strange son, new character to us at this point in the play. Uh, I don't even, we, we only know that there is a son. Yeah. So there's the shock and awe of like, oh my gosh, this son, what is happening? happening now oh Marilyn called him what's gonna happen this is a big step big moment for Abby the character and all the while as Benjamin is on stage for the first probably five minutes of his stage we're getting these <laughs> lines yelled from behind the bathroom door about getting Marilyn off the harness and this is one of those moments where there is dramatic irony right we yeah. the audience know what's going on in the bathroom Benjamin the character doesn't and so we laugh at Benjamin misunderstanding what's going on in the bathroom because we know that. So there's lines like Scotty saying, let me get behind you and try it that way. Marilyn, you're not going to fit. Uh, let's we'll keep, yeah. you know, there's, there's so <laughs> leverage lines like that. And, yeah. Mar- yeah. Leverage lines. Yeah. Uh, all Marilyn almost there a little closer. I mean, there's, yeah. there's just, it's, it's kind of an obvious joke, but it's paid off so well, not because, 
of the joke especially, but because of the place that David Lindsay Barrett has located this obvious joke, which is right in the middle of the most shocking, climactic moment of the whole place so far, except for maybe the skydiving, which right. is the arrival of Benjamin. <laughs> yeah, it's jarring. Like the seriousness of the moment mixed with this super comedic, I- ironic uh, uh, lines and scene that's happening just off stage, all a part of the prank war, even as this huge prank is paying off, is is just like is this beautiful crescendo that it feels like most of that second act has been building to. And we talked about it kind of early on. We mentioned just what great roles there are. I mean, this play has some really, really fun characters. I, I you know, if you're regular listeners to No Script, you know that I say all the time that I just don't do much acting anymore. There are a few characters that I would love to play, and this role is probably not big enough for me to include it on. Like, I would love to play this role, but right. I actually think I'd have a lot of fun playing Scotty in this play. Yeah, I, I think that would be a fun role to play. I'd yeah. be really excited if the play were being done near me to audition and play. Scotty. I mean, even that kind of middle tier in terms of the size of the character for this show is just a delightfully fun character. He's a great, like, stuck between sort of character, too. You get to play off the two different uh, loyalties that he has, as well as, like, a, a love story that's happening for him off stage. So, yeah, uh, full of delightful characters, full of delightful scenes. We haven't even talked about all of them. And yet, alas, we are winding down to the end of our time for the podcast. So, uh, fortunately, the conversation doesn't have to stop here. We can keep having it with all of you out there in the internet land. If you'd like to talk to someone about this play, let those people be us. You can find us on Facebook. Instagram or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast, or we have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking about Ripcord with you. Absolutely. If you've liked this episode or any of our other episodes, please recommend the podcast to your family and friends. You probably know people that like theater, like plays, like scripts especially. Send them our way. They can find us at Podbean, where we are hosted. That's podbean.com. We're also at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, those kinds of places. If you're less technologically savvy and you just need a way to connect and listen easily, if you like us on Facebook, then you can access our page every Monday. A link to the new episode is just a right on our Facebook page. You can just click and play. It's just as easy as that. Um, and that's a great way to access the podcast because you'll also get to see the ads for what scripts are coming up in the schedule. So we'd love for you to check us out over there. We are excited for the upcoming uh, episodes, the pair of episodes, Detroit and Detroit 67, as well as that special guest episode with uh, theater artist Kay Edmonds. That was a great conversation. I can't wait for you all to hear it. Yes, indeed. So until next time, when we're coming at you with another script, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script, the podcast. We'll see you.